The world went to hell around the year 2000, which is why Adam and Chad live less than 2000. Like and subscribe on your favorite podcast app and continue the conversation on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you're cool enough, join the show on Patreon for exclusive bonus content, specials, and early access to a longer, uncensored, less than 2,000 experience. And now, less than 2,000 with Adam Wentz and Chad Bischoff. Less than 2,000. Now part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. Can you believe the first half of season two is already coming to a close? I can't believe it, man. I can't believe it. Like, time flies. The thing is, Ghostbusters is one of our favorite movies of all time. Not to mention, you know, there's the new Ghostbusters that's about ready to come out. And so we got a lot to talk about. You've heard us talk about Ghostbusters before. You've heard me say that it is in my top five comedies. It is definitely in my top five comedies. Nothing beats the original Ghostbusters. I mean, everything about it. Let's start with the fact that this movie, as you said, is a comedy. But it's equally, especially when I was younger, mm-hmm. it's kind of terrifying. Yes. It's actually sort of like a scary ghost story. And that's what Dan Aykroyd wanted. Yeah. He loved ghost stories growing up. So what I love about this is it actually blended comedy with catching ghosts and not just in the cool way, but an actual sort of like ghost story element. Absolutely. From the minute that librarian yes. is like, you know, going shh and the and the the books flying and all that kind of stuff, you're like, what world am I in? Very you know, it works because it takes the scares seriously. It mm-hmm. it, it it is it it the the scary stuff is not part of a joke. The scary stuff is scary stuff, and it and it's legitimately scary. The hands coming out of the couch or the chair to get Dana Barrett. Oh my god! Terrifying! I mean, terrifying! I mean, the, I still close my eyes at that part today, and I'm not lying. <laughs> just just think of the intro. The, the the cold open, if you will, it is it is a hundred percent straight, and it is a hundred percent scary. There is not a shred of irony or comedy in it whatsoever. It's a librarian getting the crap scared out of her over what ninety seconds, two minutes, uh, really no no oh, yeah. spoken words, no dialogue, just setting the tone perfectly, and and, and that creates such a, a a backdrop, unlike anything else. The reason, one of the many reasons. Ghostbusters 1984 worked way better than 2016 was the fact that it was taken seriously as a horror film. Correct. Whereas in that stupid movie, it was everything was just a setup for a joke. None of the scares were legitimate. Think about the opening to that. It was all these random ass jokes by Gabe from The Office and none of them were funny. And it was all just this... They thought they were funnier than they were, and they weren't funny, and they weren't scary. It was like the worst of both worlds in that one. Correct. And you and and just just to say this outright, because a lot of people absolutely trolled and hated the 2016 female Ghostbusters. This is not coming from a place of misogyny. Absolutely everyone. not. This is not coming from. But Adam and I have always celebrated and loved strong female characters. The mm-hmm. problem with the new reboot of the Ghostbusters 
which is why I can't wait to see the new one, Aftermath. Mm-hmm. Or, or what is it called? Afterlife. Aftermath. Uh, yeah. I can't wait to see Afterlife to see if they go back to the way Ghostbusters storytelling should be told. So it's not that we hate on it because of those reasons. It's because they lost sight of what mattered. Yes. Most movies try to give you a central theme to kick it off. Like, this is what to expect. Ghostbusters did the opposite. It was like, we're going to scare you. This is going to be a ghost story. Mm-hmm. But then all of a sudden, you see Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray and 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 all of these actors in their elements. And you're like, oh my God, these guys are kind of ridiculous. And the comedy comes in. These are like, they're like brothers and friends starting yes. a business together. Yes. And they're like overspending and and trying to take from the university and it's just great the comedy flows naturally from the characters and the world and just the sarcastic dry wit of a bill murray i mean this is bill murray's he's done a lot of great stuff everybody remembers me crapping on him in the very first episode we ever did this was absolutely his heyday this was this was bill murray at his absolute best and none of it was forced whereas in 2016 it was like they, they just literally put the camera on and they're like, okay, Paul Feig was like, okay, be funny. And it's it's so sad to me that we have to preface that with, oh, we're not being misogynistic and we're not being racist or anything. Like, it was a crap movie, period. I mean, we started becoming friends even before he had the movie camera. We played Ghostbusters together. Like, from we the did. ages of, of kindergarten, first grade, you and I pretended to be Ghostbusters and... and, 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 and and so we're talking like as early as the age of five and six, we're doing this stuff that it has that much meaning to us. And, and, and so I was really interested going back and, and rewatching it last night to see, look, can I separate my childhood memories and my childhood attachment from the film? Can I objectively look at this as an adult and, and say whether I think it's a, a good film or not? And looking at it through that lens, I thought it was even better than I remembered. It is a masterfully written and performed movie all the way around. There's a and even and even the effects, even the effects don't even seem that bad in most places. I I mean, you think about for the year that this for for the year that they made this and for the limitations that they had Mm -hmm. to tell that story. It doesn't come across as hokey. It's not like The Matrix, which already looked like crap four years after it was released. Oh, God. Ghostbusters still holds up. Yes. The only the only effect I think doesn't look good anymore is when uh, the the dog um, is is running the, the bear in the apartment when it's chasing uh, Louis Tully across the street. That looked bad. Okay? Yes, yes. The, that the, looks bad. The, the demon dog looked great as a model looked great as a puppet it it, it looked fantastic in the close-ups the stop motion animation of it running across the street that one time central park was uh first of all i did no research on this at all this is all from the heart and all from memory and things like that and things that i picked up over the years you know it was written by dan Aykroyd, was the original uh, creator of this and 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 then you know harold ramus came on and then later ivan reichman got involved in the writing but it's it's dan Aykroyd's brainchild he originally intended it for him and John Belushi. I mean, this was supposed to be like yep. a spiritual successor to Blues Brothers, basically. And Bill Murray was not supposed to be in it. It was supposed to be John Belushi. Think of how different the movie would be in that sense. Totally different. This is one of those that 
sad what happened, sad why Belushi wasn't in the film. However, Certainly. can you imagine Bill Murray not being in this movie? Oh, my God. I mean, thinking oh. about how those two appear on screen individually, Ghostbusters is absolutely amazing with Bill Murray. That yeah. dry wit, that that casual hypersexual yes. <laughs> position that he takes number one would not have been as funny with Belushi but what works about this is is Bill Murray at his character you know as Peter Venkman he doesn't even really believe what he's doing and right. you kind of get the sense that he's like yeah I'm catching ghosts while I'm trying to hook up with hot chicks yes but do I really believe it I mean, yeah, well, just but he's there. <laughs> he's actually catching the ghost, and you still question his whether he believes it or not. Exactly. I think that's what makes it cool. That's well, what makes it cool. Well, how about that? That I mean, the very first scene when he goes to the library to talk to the librarian, he takes it. He doesn't take it seriously at all. He's like, "Do you have a history of schizophrenia in your family? Have you or anybody in your family been diagnosed paranoid schizophrenic?" And then he asks her, "Are you a habitual user of drugs?" Yeah, I mean, like, and he then of course, are people. you? Are you menstruating right now? Would you, what man would ever say that to a woman? But that's the third punch. He goes from like schizophrenic. Are you on drugs? Are you having your period? I mean, <laughs> anything but a ghost. The, the, anything but a ghost. Yeah, anything, anything but a ghost. Of course, that yeah. sets up for, there are so many great lines in this movie. This this beats Tommy Boy in my book for for lines that you can pick out and use and may not may not even realize that it's from Ghostbusters. But of course that, Correct. are you, Alice? menstruating right now of course leads to the great what has that got to do with it line from the other library <laughs> back off man yeah i'm a scientist like what a great t-shirt line back off man i'm a scientist you know there are scientists out there with like that poster up on their wall for <laughs> oh you <laughs> for know it. like proudly wearing the shirt you know at home Back off, man. I'm a scientist. Here's why the script is genius. And I'm going to say genius. It does have some flaws. We'll talk about that. But right now, focusing 100% on the good. Here's why it's... This is script writing 101. Everybody take note of what the writers did here. Every single scene does at least three things. One, every scene advances the story. There are no throwaway scenes yep. whatsoever. Every scene leads to something else and is crucial. And if you took that scene out, the movie wouldn't work. So it advances the story. Except, okay. except, except for the ghost <laughs> scene. You can't tell me that moved the story. I mean, he's literally hovering Dude, in the air. The belt I comes disagree. loose and you're like, how? It, that was part of the montage. The montage is a way to show elapsed time and was a showing that they were getting popular and making money and becoming this big thing. And they needed a way out of it. They needed a gag to get out of it. So they ended it with Damn a ghost it. BJ. You're right. You know what? You're right. You backed that up. <laughs> I stand corrected. I can admit when I am a failed man. <laughs> Go on to number two. Well, number two being you're not a failed man. Don't be so hard on yourself. You're, you're, number two is, is the fact that each scene... In, a, in, in addition to moving the plot along, uh, shows you something about the characters. Like, every little interaction 
has this like story behind it. You feel this, just the scene where they get kicked out of college. Okay. Hey, Dean Yeager. And, and I trust you're moving us to better quarters on campus. Actually, you're being moved off campus. You see, you know, we believe we at the university believe that science is innate of humanity. Um, you seem to view it as some sort of dodge or hustle. Yes. And as as Bill Murray is defending it, they're having this. You're seeing the guy just rip yes. the equipment off of Dan Aykroyd in the background. And he's like handing over his stuff like, what the hell's going yes, on here? Yes, yes, yes. And the way he goes and then and Bill Murray just deadpans. But the kids love us. And you see the Dean take a moment, like take a swallow and like kind of flinch a little bit and goes, Dr. Venkman. And he says doctor like he's he's he can't stand to have to call this guy a doctor. Right. Yeah. It It pains him with everything. (laughs) And every fiber of his being is like Dr. Just the performance. The performances and the subtlety of it, the body language, the facial expression, uh, expressions, the, the inflection hints at this major story. Like, I get the sense in that maybe one minute long scene, I, I get a feeling like there's years and years of backstory, like basically an animal house type situation. Correct. And, 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 and Which is so lost in so much writing today. Right. You know between the scene where he's like doing the test and he's favoring the woman yes. over the guy. Yes. Like, you know, just a couple of wavy oh, lines God. and it is the wavy lines. He goes, oh my God, I'm sorry. It's just not your day. And then shocks him. Yes. Like, clearly, you know from that scene that he's not totally up to snuff. No, well, not just that. But then, but then you see that one minute scene. Yes. And basically, like you said, it fills the gaps of 10 years. It sure does. It says so much about Venkman as a human being. He's, he's perving on a college girl. He's, he's, mani- he's manipulating the situation to get with her. And not only that, he's needlessly st- uh, sadistic. Like, he doesn't have to shock that guy, but he wants to. He's getting off on it, and it's also yeah. part of the little game with the girl. So it, 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 it lets you know he's not a legit scientist. He's, he's a sleaze. He's an a- I mean, he's got Venkman burning hell, like spray painted on his door is the establishing shot to it. And it's like just that little bit of characterization. And how about, okay, Ray comes in, same scene. You get a sense of how much history there is between them just by the way they interact. You know, Bill Murray goes up to him and smacks him and goes, I'm right in the middle of something, Ray, and just punch hits him in the back of the head behind him in the back of the head. And so you get this impression. (laughs) Okay, so Bill is like, kind of manipulating this guy. Ray is a pushover. Ray's really the heart and the smarts of the outfit. And Bill just wants to get laid and make money. But you you pick up on all of that just by... Nobody has to say that. You don't need to see any more of that to just see that. So, 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 so moving the plot forward, number one, telling us something about the characters, a lot about the characters. And then three, is funny. Every single scene does at least three things. Every scene is Correct. funny, except for the one or two that are dead serious. And even or then, there's action. some comedy in it. It's either, either the comedy or their action, occasionally both. So it's doing everything. I've did, I, I really saw this uh, last night. I really saw this movie as Venkman's journey. This is Peter Venkman's story. I don't. I used to think of it more as a team and an ensemble thing. Now I'm very much viewing this as the Vankman story because he's the only one that really goes on a journey, if you will. He's the one, only one that has any sort of arc or character development. It's not a lot. It's very subtle, but 
he does change slightly throughout it, and he does go on his hero's journey, if you want to look at it that way. Correct. And I think yeah, Ray and Egon are just lead. kind of pieces to the you know background characters, as much as they are major parts of the Ghostbusters. Well, I mean, I think I definitely, I mean, it's definitely an ensemble, but he, you're right, the hero's journey, that is completely from Bill Murray's perspective. I mean, you you, you get roped into that world. He's the one with the relationship with, with Dana Barrett. He's the one that's, you know, my girlfriend sleeps four feet above the covers. I mean, he's the one that has every aspect of the story moving forward from the character mm-hmm. perspective, mm-hmm. but every character from, you know, Raymond and Egon and and then yeah it, they all have their part you know they all move the story forward because you got the scientist and you got so you have the different characters that play into it you know if you don't have Dan Aykroyd you know he's kind of the worker I mean he's the one that's fixing the car yep. all the time yep. he's the one the muscle the you heart know, the muscle yeah so they all serve the purpose in the great scheme of the movie Certainly. But I, I say it's Bankman's journey mainly because, look, he starts at a place where he legit really does not care about anyone. He basically sells out his best friend, you know, with the mortgage. He's just trying to get laid. He's he's getting kicked out of school. He doesn't care about really anything but himself at all. And by the end of the movie, he cares about Dana. Like, he Correct. wants to go save her. He, he, he really acts heroic. And I will also say... Not just in addition to that, there's subtle that like as much of a skeptic as he is and as much, you know, you know, you mentioned that like he's actively fighting ghosts and he almost doesn't believe in it. It's all just kind of this scam, this business to him, but this canard. That ends up being very real. Right. It's just, he know it's almost like he duped his best friend to get what he wanted, to get mm-hmm. the money they needed to do mm-hmm. what they wanted to do. Yeah. And then he accidentally fell into it being real. Exactly. He's not taking the job seriously whatsoever. No. Because again, at that point, even though he was attacked by a ghost, he's, you know, at the library, he was still kind of cynical and not believing of it. You know, playing the piano. They hate yeah. this. It's Dr. Venkman. And just that whole shtick. He did sitting seem there, like a Sitting game there show. squeezing the little ball. And he's like, it's technical. <laughs> Little he toys. has no idea what he's doing. He's just making yeah. it up. Is this you look you? more like a game show host. Yes, that was a great line. That was an improv. That was a ad lib because the was line it? was the, the line was car used car salesman, and she ad libbed right um, game show host, and that was perfect. Because he does kind of have that vibe, the suit and the sort of like you know, yeah. <laughs> kind of how it's kind of smarmy but still energetic. Like you kind of like him, but you kind of <laughs> don't like. You look more like a game show host. Uh, she's talking about her. She's talking about her fridge, and she's like, "There were there were flames, and there were beasts writhing about." He goes, "Normally, you don't see that sort of behavior from a major appliance." It's just it's, <laughs> that is the dry, sarcastic wit. Every single scene, it's not trying to be funny. It is funny. It just is. And that's what made this movie so yeah. damn good and what so many comedies miss today. It's okay to have the big over-the-top comedy. I mean, we loved Chris Farley, as we've talked about. And that you don't get any bigger than Chris Farley in every way, shape, and form. Mm-hmm. However, when you're talking about comedy that comes from a place of realism, you need something to ground you into it. And I think the fact that Catching ghosts is already a fantasy that we only wish we could see come to reality. I mean, I'd love to see that be real. However, 
if you're going to put comedy into that, you kind of need to have that be a dry, matter-of-fact comedy. Mm -hmm. And they did that. And why is it that with their dry matter... You'd think it'd be more like a, huh, that's funny. Huh, chuckle. Oh, that's witty. Maybe not even laugh, but just think to yourself that's funny. It makes me crack up. I mean... It has the same effect of a Chris Farley with his pants falling down or, or ripping a jacket because he's too fat. Like, it, it it elicits the same level of comedy with much less, with just subtlety and nuance. The comedy came out because of the seriousness of what they were taking care of. You know what I mean? You didn't need the joke to be haha. You needed their response to what was happening in the world to be funny and the delivery it. That's why it's as much the, in some ways, I think the performance is almost more powerful than the script. Cause mm-hmm. think about what those words would be on a page. We're seeing the ghost. We're seeing what's happening when you're just reading those lines on a page. There isn't a lot of laugh out loud comedy in it, mm-hmm. but when you actually put the hyper real world into it, then the comedy gets drawn out in that dry, sarcastic sense. Absolutely. Hey there, this is Jeremy Parrish, and if you're a fan of classic video game soundtracks, or if you just love 20-minute rock epics about war-ready armadillos that battle Catholicism, you should listen to Alexander's Ragtime Band. Join the power trio of myself, Elliot Long, and James Eldred each month as we talk about the most pretentious music of all, progressive rock, right here on the Greenlit Podcast Network. Previously, in Zelda 2, on Chat of the Wild. Until you get to the elevator. Hey, where you going? Right. <laughs> I'm on like, stay away from me, and you and your little flamies. <laughs> he just chases you. I'm like, uh, I'm like, no, 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 run, 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 run. I love that, I love that idea. It's like, we have this whole grand adventure where we're building ourselves up, and every time we get in the palace, we're like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, like, just running through. <laughs> That's Chat of the Wild, Wednesdays on the Greenlit Podcast Network. Ivan Reichman uh, mentioned in the commentary track on the DVD that like he wanted to make it such a realistic slow build like it's a going into business story they have their first encounter they start a business they get the place they get the car beat by they get their first client they beat by beat by beat it builds on realistic situations for the first act and so yep. by the time they go into the hotel, you're with them. You're like, this is believable. I'm with them. And, and that, that first scene, that first ghost scene with Slimer is 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 subtle uh, to the point where it just brings you along. And then you get the montage with the ghost. And, 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 and by the end of the movie, he wants you to be able to think that a 50-foot 50 50 marshmallow man walking down uh, Times Square is realistic. Is realistic, and it be and it became real. You really were in it with them by that point. You didn't, as as a kid. And okay, I know as a kid I didn't. Do you feel this way? The minute you saw just that hat and that eyeball <laughs> coming around that big tall building, mm-hmm. and you were about ready to see what you were what you were going to see, mm-hmm. you didn't think, well, that's cheesy. A Stay puffed marshmallow man, right? Have you ever at one moment thought that that was the cheesiest? And, you know, bad guy in a movie. No, I thought it was great. I thought it was great. Because of the slow build. How about Gozer? Okay, we've got, we've got, you know, we go the whole movie without a central villain. And here's one of those things that, like, 
people point to as, as a flaw of the movie. There's really no major villain. You only see the villain at the very end. Um, you know, and the other major flaw that people point out, there's no real arc here. I mean, I think they overlook the Vankman arc, but people say, look, everybody like basically begins and ends in the same point. There's really no growth. There's really no major obstacle to overcome. And I, that's, I don't agree that's, with that's that. That's not true. No, I, that's totally untrue. Because it was a starting a business story. They, they, got, they got let go from the university. They scraped together some cash. Mm-hmm. They start a business. They get their first client. They end up writing that, end up saving the entire city, yeah. which arguably saved the entire world. Vankman went from a completely narcissistic douchebag mm-hmm. to <laughs> actually having feelings yes. for a woman and for his comrades, yes, you know, as he's as he's saving them, and and they put all of the you know douchey, stupid political figures that didn't believe in it mm-hmm. in their place, mm-hmm. and Walter Peck yes. in his place, and was proven wrong. It buttoned up every story arc, like every character situation, right? So what the. F- is not there. I, uh, What's some, not there? Wait, somebody, if you if you if you type in uh, Ghostbusters discussion into YouTube, one of the top results is a guy named Patrick Willems, who is a big YouTube guy. But he he, he says Ghostbusters, the movie about nothing, is the title of it, and he goes on to say that there are no arcs, there is no growth, and there are no themes. I I do have to wonder, like. Is is there a theme to this? If you if you had to if you had to put your finger on it, would you say there's a theme? It's called catching ghosts, bro. <laughs> you know what else do you want? I I see. To me, it's like science. You know, science, technology, uh, spiritualism. Uh, I mean, it's got fantasy. Yeah, and, and they even they even bring. I mean, that that car ride. You know. Oh, I love that. That's one of my favorite scenes. Yeah. You believe in God, Ray? Never met him. And they're smoking cigarettes. Yeah. I don't know. I've never met him. (laughs) I've never met him. What a great line. Yeah. I mean, everything about it brought, what would the world be like if this business existed and ghosts existed? Yeah. The, the 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 theme is you know good over evil like everything else for them to say that like there's no major central villain and there's no I I mean I'm like I, I wanted to say what about Lord of the Rings then dude Lord of the Rings is <laughs> right? is this huge massive three book novel it's over a thousand pages in the book and you know three three hour movies basically. You never saw and the whole Sauron. first movie. You never- yeah, the whole first movie, uh, the whole first one was literally like landscape wide shots. I'm yes. like, what the f- am I watching? The, the, the main, the main bad guy is never shown. He's shown in the prologue, and then he's shown as an eyeball that explodes. That's it. So, it, but everything is happening because of him. Just like Gozer is bringing back all these ghosts. So I, I completely disagree with that. That that criticism. And I think that's just somebody looking for clickbait, if you ask me. I think so, too, because I, I, I mean, we just got the. I mean, this is in one of your top five movies, right? It's top and, five comedies and, for sure. And probably yeah, top five I mean, overall. It, it, yeah. Sorry. Top five comedies. Honestly, it had everything you want. It gave children the dream of like, I want to catch ghosts and the proton packs and and a little bit of comedy. And it gave the adults the the adult 
comedy. I mean, you watch it as an eight-year-old, and then you watch it because I, you know, last I saw it was about a year ago, yeah. and I went, "Oh my god!" You catch things that you're like, I still catch things watching it. We're like, "Oh my god!" Mm-hmm. That is totally that that innuendo is there. Yes. Do you know Louis Tully originally uh, was was John Candy was the original cast casting decision for that? Rick Moranis here again. Think everything happens for oh, a reason. Thank God. I, I, I mean, I hate to say that, but that way, way better because he brought that, you know, accountant, dorky, nerdy, Perfect. you know, he's wearing the jumpsuit. Could I mean, not he, have been better. He, he did it perfectly. Perfectly. And, 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 and John Candy is, can do understated acting. He, he can be minimalist and subtle, like, a lot of Uncle Buck. He is very uh, a restrained actor, but as a bit character, John Candy is way over the top, and he would try to steal every scene. And I guess he was doing some. He was doing a German accent and like a little pin mustache and had big Dobermans or something. That was the character, and he and he pulled out. He was like, you know what? I cannot find this character. Thank God, because Louis Tolley is perfect. You know, we haven't even talked about Winston. We haven't even talked about there, there's so we haven't even talked about uh, Walter Peck. Um, so I, I know we're running short on the on the time of the episode. For you patrons, uh, people that follow us on Patreon, you will be able to hear my expanded commentary on this episode. Just go over to Patreon.com/slash less than two thousand, and you will hear a bonus episode of of me just continuing this conversation with myself about. Ghostbusters, one of my favorite movies of all time. Get to all the stuff we weren't able to get to in this main episode. On Ernie Hudson. Yeah. One of the uh, one of the lines that stick out to me so much that I always found so funny is, you know, he, he's just a guy who picked up the paper, yes. circled an ad, <laughs> and went in and interviewed. Right. Right? And when they ask him about it, his response is, if there's a steady paycheck in it, I'll do anything you want. I'll believe anything you say. Oh, oh, yeah. Sorry, sorry. If there's a steady paycheck in it, I'll believe anything you want. And that, again, it's sticking to that sort of nobody really believes what's going on. And then we talk about story. I mean, we talk about character development. Mm -hmm. Then when he's in the mayor's office and he gets in his (laughs) face and he's seen, I've seen that'll turn you white. (laughs) And he's just sitting here explaining how much he's seen. He didn't want to believe it. He just called an ad yep. to take a job. And now he's like in the mayor's office, pulled out of jail, trying to, and he defends it. And in a weird way, he's the one that actually gets the Ghostbusters legitimized mm-hmm. because he was the outsider. Yeah. He's not on the LLC or I guess back then they didn't even have LLC. So he wasn't even on the corporation. He wasn't on the lease. He was the hired gun, and he's the one that gets in their face and says, this is real. Yeah. And they're like, all right. Yes. You got today to figure it out, (laughs) and he gets to go. So it's kind of, again, it's that arc. We talk about the story arc and 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 the character arc. He had that. He actually was able to help take, in the beginning, something he was just doing for a paycheck and turn it into something that essentially made them legitimized yeah. which saved the city yeah good point so f- that youtuber <laughs> he's he's the everyman 
He's the everyman. He's the plain. He's not the scientist. He's not a PhD. Correct. He's he's a blue collared worker, and, and he can't believe this shit either. And and he's able to express that in a way I I've seen shit that will make you turn white. And they show the whitest looking dude I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, in the, the corner looking up or whatever. He's like so <laughs> pasty white, almost red with a jet white hair, like almost like an albino. I love yeah. it. Yeah, oh absolutely. Yeah, let's find the whitest guy to react to that comment. The the coolest thing, let's end on a high note as far as the movie is concerned. The coolest thing is that they uh they are they are big time. I love that they make it. They start from nothing. They get kicked out of school. They are poor. And then they make it big time. They've got the mayor say, you know, get this guy out of here to peck. And decide, you know, and then he turns to the Ghostbusters and says, what do you need? And then immediately smash cut to like all these troops like national guard troops i think and all these police officers and they're like oh oh you know the, the music and, the music, and they're, and they're up, amped up getting and, their guns and, getting on know, trucks yeah. and then they they parade down the street they police military escort to that building and and it's with the sweet music and you got the religious figures like praying out front you got this huge crowd ghostbusters 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 yeah, man, that was like the highlight of my childhood, man. Yes. The Ghostbusters made it, and and and, yes. and Bill Murray is Rickman is reveling in it. He's like, you know, like you know, Ray is all Hello, bashful. New York. And, and Hello, New York. Hello, New York. He's a celebrity. Yes, yeah. he's, he's absolutely. And I love think, it. And and I think the people who want to look at look at this film, I think what's missed, you know, you you call it a comedy first. I do. You know. And 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 ultimately, I think you're right. However, from a storytelling perspective, to go back to earlier, it is a ghost story. And a ghost story, the villain in any in any ghost story, the villain or the, the antagonist mm-hmm. is going to slowly be introduced because it's of a more spiritual nature. Mm-hmm. Rather than in like action comedies where you're like, here are the good guys, here's the villain. Yep. Good, bad, bang, jokes, movie over. And so I think what this did is it blended a comedy Mm -hmm. with the real ability to tell a ghost story. Yeah. And blending those two together is why this movie is essentially genius. And why, whether love it or hate it, you can have an opinion because everybody has an opinion, Mm -hmm. but you have to look at it from those two separate positions or you're going to miss something. Beautiful. Do you think there's anything, any other movie in this vein? Is there anything you can compare this to? No. Science fiction comedy. I'm not even talking about quality. I guess maybe I am, but I, I, I mean, I, I mean, of a big movie, nothing, nothing comes to mind because it, it, it literally blended two movies or two genres together. You know, I mean, yeah, sure. There was action comedies, there was things like that, but but a ghost story comedy? Yes. If you look at it like that, because you did have antagonists. You had Walter Peck. You had the university kicking him out. They had issues that they had to overcome. Yes. So there was the conflict in the story. Yeah. But as far as a main villain, it was a ghost story. That yeah. reveals itself as time goes on. Yeah. Not up front. Yes. And so it did that. Absolutely. Period. Ghostbusters 2016 
wasn't even a ghost movie. It was not a ghost story. It was comedy they, action. They, they were didn't shooting even have the proton gu- packs. They, 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 they just shot them like a gun. They shot guns. They didn't trap them. They just blew them up by shooting them. And think about it this way: in the original Ghostbusters, the amount of time that they're using the proton packs on screen is just over two minutes. The whole movie, yep. two minutes, they're using the proton packs. Whereas the crappy 2016 one, they're like jumping around. They're like shooting behind their back. They've got cannons. They've got machine guns. They got handguns. It was that the whole end of the movie was like 25 minutes of just, I don't even know. Um, so, so, so it, this is where I have high hopes that Jason Reitman mm-hmm. is not going to let his family legacy down in afterlife. Number one, Jason is a very intelligent filmmaker. You know, He's got his the father. Yep. Yep. I mean, it, it, you know, his, his father has been a part of this since the original Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. And I really believe that he is going to bring back the Ghostbusters story the way it should have been told since the original. I will commit to watching Ghostbusters Afterlife with you. And just follow us on social media over the summer to find out the less than 2,000 take on the greater than 2,000 version of Ghostbusters Afterlife. Afterlife.